Previously on the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. I want some respect put on his name. Nobody was rocking with the Astros. Who are you going to put on the Mount Rushmore in the city of Houston? Why are you apologizing, even if it was an accident? The man that was built for the job was us, and Jim Crane knew that, and that's why he picked him, and he actually got them through some turmoil. We in that dugout making those decisions while it's going on? That's a totally different ball game. I like to see him sit on that fastball just a little bit more. And I didn't really want to talk about this. It's the Dwight Howard situation. I think that that proves that this team has some moxie in an NFL season, you're going to lose some football games. Until we prove those narratives wrong, people are going to get a chance to say what they say. We believe in change and we're prepared for it with new techniques and new approaches. And as for our part, we feel that you're the best pieces of manpower available in this whole region. Let it go out there today, baby. Three, two, one. And once again, our Back on Welcome to the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Oh, mama, there goes that man. You ladies and gentlemen, the star of our show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. So glad that you are joining us for this, a very wonderful edition of Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. I mean, we think they're all wonderful, but this is pretty special, and I'll tell you why in just a little bit. But if this is your first time checking us out, welcome aboard, and we hope to become a part of your podcast menu, and we hope that you become a part of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast community. And I'll tell you ways that you can do that a little bit later on. But shouts out to all the first-time listeners, and shouts out to all the people who listen to every episode, who like us, who share us, who call the sports line, who uh, participate on the Sports Talk with Devin Wade group page, and the folks who talk about us at the virtual and literal water coolers in their workspaces. We certainly appreciate you guys, and shout out to you. And finally, shout out to all the people who buy bootleg Viagra from the corner store, but are reluctant and have serious reservations about taking the COVID vaccine. Shouts out to all you fellas. Well, welcome aboard. It's going to be a fun episode and I will tell you what's coming up. But first, let me tell you about this. Let me tell you ways that you can become involved and be interactive. You can call us 24 hours a day on the sports line, 832-941-6614. That's 832-941-6614. You can call us 24 hours a day, leave a comment, a question, a rebuttal to something you heard, feedback. You can talk about your favorite team. You can brag on your favorite team. You can talk trash on your rival. Whatever you want to do, call and leave a message and you just might end up on the very next podcast. In addition to that, Sports Talk with Devin Wade group page on Facebook. There you can see poll questions from time to time. People post every day. You can post about interesting stories, uh, headlines about your team, whatever you want to talk about on that page, you certainly can. And finally, on social media, at the Devin Wade on Instagram and on threads and on X or Twitter, as it were, you can find me at Wade's Word, W A D E S. W-O-R-D. So those are ways that you can become interactive. So here's what we have coming up. We have a conversation with a candidate for the Houston Astros managerial position, replacing Dusty Baker, Eric Young Sr., the first base coach of the Atlanta Braves, and maybe, just maybe, the next Astros manager. So we'll have that conversation coming up. We have some comments from Coach Clarence McKinney from Texas Southern University. Of course, I am the voice of Texas Southern Tiger football alongside Larry the Chatterbox Hill. I do all the play-by-play, and we have a game coming up tomorrow, as of the time that we're taping now, Tomorrow, we play Alcorn State. Then, of course, we finish with Pine Bluff. So he'll talk about the lead-up in the pregame conversation for the Alcorn State game. So that should be a fun game on tomorrow. And we'll tell you why that game got moved as well. And then we have comments from Reggie Brown from the Special Teams Unit, our guy Reggie. We have a, a story that I wanted to share. We had an entire conversation. That was a while back, and I'll give you the backstory on that in a little bit. But we do have a story that he shared with us that I want to share with you guys. So all that's going on. But let me tell you what's been going on with me. Let's start with what's brand new. Brand new, brand new, brand new. 
So what's brand new with me, there are a lot of things that are brand new. But what's brand new is that I am off of the road. I do play-by-play for TSU football, and we have no more road games. We have two home games. I am happy to be home. And I, as much as I like to travel and go around doing the games, it is a very time-consuming thing. When you talk about two and a half, three days out of your life where you are traveling and moving around or preparing to move around and all of that good stuff. And uh, we finished up in Jackson. And, and what happens is now that I'm done, I can be more consistent and get back on that rhythm. You know, the rhythm of cranking out podcasts for you guys. And I do want to thank all of you who are so patient with me when there are lapses and I might miss a week or it may be a minute and you bear with me and you guys always come back. So thank you. Thank you for that. And now that I am home, I should not have as many hiccups in my schedule. So I don't do TSU basketball, just do TSU football. Larry the Chatterbox Hill will take you guys through the SWAC basketball schedule. And that's a whole lot of fun because he has like 10 rings. But I'll give you an example of what happened last week. And this is why it's so difficult. So last week I had a podcast ready to go out just about. But I could not finish, and I just had to leave to go catch a flight to Jackson. So I go to Jackson, and I come back on Sunday at 6 a.m. So that's a 3.30 wake-up call to get ready to head to the airport for a 6 a.m. flight. I get back to Houston, come straight home, drop my bags off, go straight back out to NRG Stadium. That is where the Texans were playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I will tell you that, great game. But there were times during that game I was struggling. I was kind of nodding. I was kind of slapping my face and drinking extra coffee. I was trying to shake myself up, going for walks, trying to stay awake. Because, you know, of course, for me, I don't sleep well on the road. I don't travel enough. I'm sure if I traveled all of the time, I would be better at sleeping in different environments. But no, I like to be at home. And uh, so I don't sleep as well. So I was dragging all day Sunday. But I did have a portion of a conversation with Reggie Brown. And uh, that's what I want to share with you from a podcast that never aired. Maybe we'll do the lost episodes of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. But anyway, in the team hotel, we shared the hotel that weekend with an NAACP convention. Now, I don't think this was a national. This may be either, either just regional or statewide. I don't know. I didn't ask the wonderful people who I came into contact with, but it was a wonderful thing. And you get a sense that they earn it. <laughs> NAACP members in Mississippi earn it. And they get down with the get down. They are true to the game. Not saying that other places aren't. But when you are in Mississippi, I suspect that you are in the heart of the struggle. And I can guarantee you that among that group, and by the way, they were wonderfully dressed. It was a beautiful thing. They were taking photos, and they had galas, and the attire was was wonderful. Everybody looked so beautiful and so lovely. It was a it was a great thing, and I wish I could have indulged a little bit more, but we were on a work trip, so I really didn't have a lot of time. But coming into contact with those people, it was a wonderful, wonderful thing. But I can guarantee you this. There's one of those elderly gentlemen, at least one of those elderly gentlemen in that crowd that has in their closet at home an old pair of brown slacks, brown shoes, and a short sleeve dress shirt that he wore when he walked the walk and really fought the struggle on the front lines. So <laughs> I guarantee you there were some folks in that crowd that really were a part of the movement, and we thank them for that. And uh, it was beautiful to see that event and beautiful to uh, just see how committed they were and uh, what a wonderful event it was for them. So shouts out to the Mississippi NAACP. So there's that. Also, I do want to shout out to the folks at Jackson State, the Club 1400 podcast, and the Tiger Talk, as it were. Uh, it's a podcast that they do on YouTube, and boy, they have a huge, huge following. DJ Damon set that up for me and asked me to be a part of that, and I had an opportunity to talk to those folks, and they were wonderful. And I, I gave them, you know, I show Jackson State a lot of love because they have always really supported their school. And this is pre-Dion, post-Dion. Dion, just take Dion out of the equation. Jackson State folks are really, really passionate about their school. And they represent in a big way. So I had a great opportunity to talk with those folks. So shouts out to them. And also shouts out to a guy who's been on the podcast, a friend of the show, friend of KTSU Sports Talk, been on KTSU Sports Talk a bunch. Nate Griffin, 
who had me on Fox 26. So you guys may notice me being a little bit more visible. And when you see those things, uh, you know, hey, always shout me out. Reach out to, like, Nate or Fox 26 and, and show me some love so we can get more exposure and do more things. It's a big deal. And when they hear from you guys, they know that, hey, there are a lot of folks who uh, really support Devin Wade and KTSU Sports Talk and KTSU and the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. So if you get an opportunity, you see me somewhere, tag me, of course, because many of you did. And I want to thank you guys for that. But also tag them as well. So that is a, a big deal. So when you let them know, then maybe they'll have me back a little bit more often and we can do more things. Because the end game is to have me be able to produce something on a daily basis. Because there are so many things that happen day to day that I don't get an opportunity to talk about. We will do headlines a little bit later. But what I want to do now is take a time out, come back with this wonderful conversation with Eric Young Sr. That and a whole lot more. This is the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Anyway, you get your podcast. Your children are the most precious gift God has given you. Their well-being is of the utmost importance, and finding childcare that exhibits the same belief is, well, non-negotiable. So why not end your search at Brighter Brains Learning Center? Located in Stafford, Texas, Brighter Brains is a licensed, family-owned and operated daycare that promotes an early educational foundation and provides an environment of love, safety, and quality care for children ages six weeks to five years old. For more information, call 346-328-3717 or visit brighterbrainslearningcenter.org. Welcome back to Sports Talk. To reach Devin Wade with a question or comment, follow him on Twitter at Wade's Word. Be a part of the group on Facebook by joining the Sports Talk with Devin Wade group or liking the page. In the open, I joked about convenience store Viagra. And fellas know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those reasonable facsimiles of Viagra that are found at gas stations and corner stores all over America. I do not necessarily recommend those. I've heard some horror stories. I've heard some success stories, but I've also heard a lot of horror stories about that. State Representative Jarvis Johnson and Justice of the Peace Joe Stevens, former Houston Rocket Joe Stevens, and we're talking about that inside of Impact Houston Live, a show that precedes us, KTSU Sports Talk, every Saturday on KTSU 90.9. And I jumped in the middle of the conversation. He was talking about people who were apprehensive or questioning the safety of taking the COVID vaccine while at the same time (laughs) ingesting corner store Viagra. So there's that. But I want to get into a a very important conversation we had with Eric Young Sr., the current Atlanta Braves first base coach. He is also in the running to become manager, the replacement for Dusty Baker as the Houston Astros manager. He's a former big leaguer from 1992 to 2006. And he played for the Dodgers, the Rockies, the Cubs, the Milwaukee Brewers, the Giants, the Rangers, and the Padres. He also uh, did some coaching here in Houston for a brief time. And he did some television on some Astros pre- and post-game show stuff in the mid-teens, I think, is when those were the years that he did that locally here in Houston. But he also uh, knows Dana Brown real well, the Houston Astros general manager. They went to high school together, and they've known each other for many, many years. And obviously, he's put together a great career as a coach. Eric Young Sr. has. And I would imagine he will get an interview. Although there were three Atlanta Braves coaches rumored to be in the running, Ron Washington was one of those. He has gotten the Los Angeles Angels job, and now rumors are that Eric Young will join him in Los Angeles. But I think, again, he's among the candidates that were widely uh, regarded as favorites to at least get interviews for that job. And he made himself available, very excited, exciting candidate. And uh, we had a great conversation. So here's that conversation with Eric Young Sr., Visiting now with Eric Young Sr., first base coach of the Atlanta Braves, potential manager for the Houston Astros. How are you this afternoon? 
Uh, doing great. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, you know, we want to talk a little bit about the future, but before we get into that, obviously you guys had a tremendous season in Atlanta that came to an abrupt end. Let's talk a little bit about the regular season and all the success that team had all season long. Well, I, I tell you what, it, it was a very exciting season. Uh, offensively, we shattered so many records uh, team-wise as well as Major League Baseball-wise, but we really had a lot of guys hit on all cylinders during the season. I mean, we were doing it with, you know, basically a couple of starters out of, the, out of our rotation and guys were filling in. But the offense was was the one that carried us. And uh, uh, and we had Strider at the top. So things came together for us in the season. And like you said, abruptly just came to an end that first in that division round. But uh, it was definitely a season to remember. Just a sort of general baseball question, because I've been hearing a lot of talk. A couple of hundred win teams went out and you guys, Baltimore, the Dodgers. Do you think something needs to be done with the baseball format? Because we're looking at the ratings of the World Series, not very good. Is this an issue for baseball? Is it just the way it goes some years? Well, well, Devin, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go that route, and I tell you why I'm not gonna go that route. You know, because then that would be making excuses for those teams that didn't advance. The Houston Astros were able to advance, and they had the same week off. So if one team made it through, then how can the other three complain or make excuses for not getting past that first round? And in October, when you get to that postseason, as I call it, the third season, it's the best team. It may not be the best team that wins. It's the best team that's playing well at that time. So I'm not going to make excuses if they should change it or not. If that's the rules, that's the rules we're going to play by. And it's important for each and every team to get ready, prepared, and picked up their intensity and focus when it comes to the playoffs. And somehow, some way, speaking for the Atlanta Braves, we did not meet the challenge. And that was two years in a row. Well, like I said, you guys have had some success recently in the most prolific offense in all of baseball. But I want to talk about your connection to the Astros because obviously you've been named by a number of credible sources as a candidate for the managerial position to take the spot of uh, Dusty Baker, who retired. Talk a little bit about your ties to Houston. A lot of us already are familiar with you and your time here. But tell us a little bit about your ties to Houston. Well, first of all, my, my ties to Houston, I was I was living there for about 12 years, 12 to 14 years. I had an opportunity to work in the organization as a roving, base-running outfield instructor. Came across uh, the great Jose Altuve when he was in A-ball. So I had a chance to see him when he was a little pup and uh, had to say some reports on him. And then after one year coaching, I actually got a big league job with Arizona, so I had to leave. However, I came back in 2013, and I was doing the pre and post for the Astros. And at that time, I think I was ringing and singing the song of Bring Up Springtime in the Summer. Uh, <laughs> I think I was pushing that back then with, with Springer. So um, uh, I'm very familiar and have followed those guys, even though I went in another direction. So I've always followed Houston and always been fond of Houston, the city as well, evident by the years I spent there. And then I'm a high school buddy of the general manager, Dana Brown. Now, I know before everybody said he's going to give it to his buddy because they're buddies. No, 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 no. I'm asking for an interview, and then I present my case because some of the guys that are upstairs in the actual organization are familiar with me and what I bring to the table anyway. And so I just want to make sure I'm able to clear the air and make sure no, no, no. I want to become the next manager because I think I have the qualifications to do a great job and to keep it rolling in Houston as it's going. So I'm not coming to mess it up. I'm not coming for a security blanket because he's my husband. I'm coming because I feel like I'm ready, prepared and anxious to 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 make a big difference uh, as a manager, as a leader. Yeah, and, and by all accounts, I mean, you've made a huge impact everywhere you've been in the major leagues, and that's why you even considered a candidate, because like I said, you were his classmate, but there are a lot of classmates that know nothing about major league baseball, <laughs> so that's not, yeah, that that, that won't work, but, but, right. but the fact that you are qualified and, and really highly regarded by a lot of people gets your foot in the door from that perspective. When you look at Atlanta and Houston, what are some of the parallels you see in both of those teams 
Well, first of all, you you got to automatically go to the winning tradition that each team had established, especially in the last seven to eight years. Uh, the consistency of each squad being able to perform, and then each player, the players that you have on it, taking it to another level. And when you have a strong core like both of us have, guys that come in, you know, they fit into the reputation of the core, what that team has already established. So the culture is already set on both squads. And when I think about the similarities, I think about that way, winning players, ball players, hungry players, players that want to succeed and make it happen each and every day, want to play every day. So I see a lot of similarities. And, you know, we always pride ourselves and let's push the guy out of his comfort level, you know, get him out of his comfort zone. We want to get him out of that and see even if there's some more that you can accomplish and be rather than just be content with having a good season. No, no, no. Everything's about having a great season. And remember, if you having a great season, guess what? There's a good chance your team is going to have a great season and winning that championship. And that's what it's all about. And I think the core guys that each team represents, our guys, the guys here in Houston, they want to win it all. They're not satisfying just getting to the playoffs. And when you got a group of individuals like that, the storm is still brewing. It's still brewing. They, they got a bad taste in their mouth. We have a bad taste. Houston got a bad taste. And you know what? It's only one goal. And that's to win a championship each and every year. And that's what I think when I bring think about both squads, that's what I think about as far as the similarities are concerned. When you go back to like 2013, when you were around the team doing postgame, pregame, and, and doing some coaching, did you ever foresee this level of success for this long from this organization? Well, I, I, you didn't see it then, of course, because they were really struggling and there was a lot of young players playing at the time. So you didn't actually see it, but I knew they were talented kids. But you never know how that talent is going to perform on the big league stage consistently because it's hard to play this game each and every day and be an everyday player as most of those guys were, those young players. So that's what you knew they were good, but you didn't know how great they were going to be. Like, I knew Altuve can hit. I knew that. You saw that in the minor leagues. You know what I'm saying? So you know he was on hit, but to the magnitude that he's been hitting and been consistent each and every year, I didn't, we didn't know that. I, I mean, I'm not going to sit up and say, yeah, I knew that. So you could see the potential, but you didn't know how it was going to materialize in the big leagues, how it was going to happen. But you knew the talent was there. Springer. I remember we had J.D. Martinez in the minor league, Altuve. Now you got a young Pena up, you know, and, 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 and I give the Astros credit along with Dusty of putting, putting them in there last year. And what it becomes, the MVP of the World Series. So you have guys that have the potential, but you never know what that young talent is going to do once they get on the big stage and also get on a team like the Astros that expect to win. You never know how that young player is going to react. But these those guys have done a tremendous job. And when you get a taste of it, you already know what, it's, what, it, what it takes to get there. You already know. And each year, whoever comes in, like I said, into the, onto the team, they know it's all about winning the championship. It's all about getting to the playoffs, getting to that postseason, and succeeding in the postseason, winning that, that championship. And that's what these guys have done. And it's, it's, you know, we've won six division titles consecutively here, but the Astros have been in the league championship series, what, the last? Seven. <laughs> what, seven? Yeah, see, see. I was going to cut them short and say five or six, but seven. Yeah. That's unbelievable. That's That's unbelievable, but... You got a core that's been there each year of those seven years. They've been there. So they know exactly what it takes. So I want to ask you about replacing a legend. Obviously, Dusty <laughs> Baker is a Hall of Famer, and you're interested in yeah. succeeding him. But talk a little bit about trying to step into those cleats after uh, such a stellar career on and off the field as a manager. Surefire first ballot Hall of Famer as a manager. Talk a little bit about stepping into those cleats. Well, I have to say, first of all, uh, I have so much respect for Dusty. Got a chance to really get to know him back in my playing days when he first started out as a manager. Knew a lot about him. We had a trip to Japan. We was on the Japan All-Star team at that time, and we went over to Japan, and we were sitting next to each other. 
and uh, really got a chance to know him, pick his brand. And there was always acknowledgement before I let off each and every at bat when we played them. If I let off the game, I would always acknowledge him because that was just the half of the man. And then you think about the things he does. Every player, I don't know about these players now, but I know every player back in the day wanted to play for Dusty Bacon. And I'm sure the same is also with these players as well. So I'm just saying, if I'm, I had a saying, I'll tell you a quick saying, I had a saying, if I'm half the man that Jackie Robinson was when I came over to Los Angeles Dodgers, having a number 21, which is half of 42, I said, I have successful career. And I know if I have it on the field, it's going to be that way even better off the field. Dusty Baker, following a legend like Dusty Baker, you have no choice but to uphold, maintain, and protect what he has established in the last four years, I do believe, with the Astros, three or four years with the Astros. But even as a man over his career, to see what he's done each and every stop he, he went to, we was a ball player, he was a winner. When he was a, a manager, he was a winner. And I tell you what, the toughest part, as bad as I wanted to ring, the toughest part was beating Dusty Baker in the Astros in 21. And, and I don't know if anybody ever remember the first game where I went over there before I ran the first base and gave him a big hug. And, uh, and we held on to each other for about a minute. You yeah. know what I'm saying? That's the type of love I have for them and respect I have for Dusty Baker. And I tell you what, if given the opportunity, I'm going to uphold definitely what he got going on in Houston. Sure. Well, I want to ask you a little bit about diversity in managing. Obviously, not a lot of African-American representation on that level. How important is it? Because you come from an era and in the era that preceded you, where it was so much more African-American participation. How important is it to have African-American managers in the major leagues? Well, I think it's very important because, first of all, we give little kids the, the admiration and, and the, for those individuals to look up to us that it can be done. Uh, so it's not just about me. If I'm a manager, it's about those little black kids that stay in my hood or where I'm from, my hometown, or even in Houston. They see a black manager and the players see a black manager, a person that can lead and, and, and lead successfully. Then I think that's a tribute to, to everybody. That's, that's to everybody that ever have aspirations of being a manager. So I'm not just carrying a torch. For myself, uh, I will be carrying a torch for a lot of people. And, and I don't have no problem doing that. But the main thing is, I want to do it and do it well. I don't want to just say I'm the manager of the Houston Astros and I don't succeed and put forth the best effort ever and keep uh, maintaining this, the success they have there. I got to keep it going and do better. That's what I think about. I don't think about just maintain. I have to do better. And we all know what better is. That's just winning some championships. So I want to ask you, going back to your relationship with Dana Brown, you guys, high school buddies, went to the same high school. Talk a little bit about him as the man, and what was it like uh, going to school and being around him in high school? Well, I tell you, we, we, were, we were buddies and, and hanging out a lot of time, playing all the sports together and everything. And I used to – I used to actually, Dana was a, a great pitcher. People don't know that. He was a great pitcher coming up, and I had the, the privilege of catching him. Uh, I was a catcher back in the day. Don't look at my size. I know you said hey, you too little. You know, right, you too right. short. But I was a catcher. I will put on that equipment to catch him. But anyway, so we came up, we were very competitive. Everybody was competitive in our group. We were pushing each other. I remember when and uh when we were seniors, we won a state championship and we were pushing each other in practice, which made the game easy for us. But always Dana was that one that we all said gonna be the baseball man. Because I went to school on a football scholarship so at Rutgers University. So Dana was the baseball man growing up. We all knew that. And, uh, I mean, Dana used to, you know, people don't know, he's a shovel snow. You know, we from Jersey, so he's a shovel that snow. He used to be out there playing baseball. So we know he was very dedicated, but he was a dedicated athlete, dedicated to his friends, dedicated to being a family man. His family is great. Uh, his wife's family is great. I grew up with both of them. Cassandra as well, Cassandra Ward Brown as well, you know what I'm saying, her maiden name. So um, it, it's, a, it's a love and respect that's there no matter what. And we both went different avenues, but the, the position he's in, uh, uh, whether he makes me his manager or not, is just so uh, gratifying because I know exactly where he came from. And he's always been, always been a leader, 
always. What, uh-huh. what was it like once you, once he got the job? I mean, obviously, I'm sure you reached out to him. Y'all connected, knowing that oh, you yeah. guys <laughs> came from the same streets, the same hood, and now uh-huh. you guys are doing it on on the big stage. How? What was that first conversation like? Or how how did that go? And how excited were you when he did get the GM job? I, I was so excited because he, you know, once he took the the route of being a scout, you know, we both talked about it. You know, hey. You in the big leagues, you coaching. I'm in that scout in the front office area. You know, one day it might it may it may happen that I'm the general manager and you the manager, whether we together or or just in those positions in the big leagues. And to think about where we came from and how it all happened. You know what I'm saying? I was so I was so elated. Like I was like I was calling New, New Brunswick and everything, my our hometown. And said we need to throw a big party. We need to throw a parade. We need to throw all this because. He's a general manager of a of a base major league baseball team, but not only major league baseball team, a prominent team like the Houston Astros. So you let's know, talk a little bit about your leadership style and and how uh, what what areas do you excel? Like how would you describe yourself sort of as a leader of men, especially like I said on this level where everybody got game, everybody was the big man on campus, and now yeah. they're in the major leagues, and and you have to take charge of that group. Can you describe a little bit about your leadership style? Well, uh, that's 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 a good question right there. And uh, first of all, I'm honest. I'm a great communicator. I'm a guy that's no nonsense when it comes to play, playing the game. When we step between the lines, there's a job we must do, have to do, not can't do, but I believe in guys showing up each and every day on the grind, making it happen. Now, I'm not the type. I'm a very aggressive type manager. And when I say aggressive, not aggressive in your face, but if there's something wrong, I'm, I will say something. Uh, I'm not one of those individuals that see something wrong, don't say anything. No, 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 no. If something's wrong, we're going to do it the right way. Uh, I'm very uh, fundamentally sound as far as we're going to do it. We're going to do it right, not just do it because we have to and get through practice. No, no, no. It's not like that. You practice the way you want to play. That's been my model. You practice the way you want to play. And if you want to pra- if you want to have good practices, good things are going to happen on that field. If you want to practice in a bad way, well, you, when bad things start happening on the field, it's because you didn't get prepared properly. And I want to make sure if, uh, if I'm a team, I'm with the team, that we are getting prepared each and every day. And I don't care if you're the number one man or the 26th man. There's going to be some type of role or contribution we need from you to make us successful. And I, I want to make sure you prepare for that moment. And if I can get all the guys prepared for that moment at the same time, that's a storm building up. And when we hit that field, it's like it's one bad taste we want and one bad taste we don't want. We don't want to have that taste that we had walking off the field and the season was over. We want that taste celebrating on the field, the last game of the season, which is winning it all. And that's going to be a constant reminder. And I explain to my team as a leader, you got three seasons. You got the preseason, spring training. You got the regular season. And then you have the postseason for all the marbles. And that's how it'll be broken down. But I will give each guy the respect, but they will know that I will command to do it and respect the way we do it each and every day. And I think they'll be able to communicate with me. My style will be similar to Dusty in the sense that I'm open door. I'm your friend off the field. I'm your manager on the field. And there's a separation. So I want to ask you a little bit about analytics because the Perception is, and reality is really, uh, Dusty Baker, Bruce Bochy, both guys, old, old school kind of guys. But you have a <laughs> lot of newer managers that are really into the analytics where the general manager is very active in how you forecast and, and map out a game. How, where do you fall on the – because I know no matter who you are, analytics are going to be a part of baseball because yeah. they are valuable tools. But where do you fall with the use of analytics as opposed to going with your gut sometimes like a Bruce Bochy or a Dusty Baker? Well, there's going to come opportunities down, down when I'm in the dugout that they will expect me to make a decision based on my gut feeling or, or, or my experience. However, what analytics does, you, you got to be able to use, because it's a lot of information and it's a lot of good information. So as a manager, I got to make sure my coaches are getting this information and they're able to understand this information and they're able to teach it to our players and give it to our players. 
See, that's the, see, the communication line sometimes is broken. No, no, no. There's a lot of valuable information, and we use analytics over here uh, with Atlanta Braves. I mean, it's everywhere. But there's, they give it to us, and we decipher it, and we make sure we break it down for the player where he's not thinking a lot about it, but he's getting key points that, so he can have success on the field. You know, we talk about positioning. Well, they spend time upstairs picking out where they hit the ball at mostly, knowing we can't cover the whole field. So we're going to take away those points. So that's why when we position players, the reason behind that, we didn't just go and put it in the computer. There's some information that went into, into the computer that came out with, okay, we should play this guy. That, I don't think anybody should complain about that. Now, if something is not working, I'm sure if you got a trusted leader, if, if the general manager trusted you to be his manager, you guys should be able to communicate and say, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? But you know the bottom line? He's the boss. He's my boss. If that's the way you want to do it, that's the way we're going to do it. And I'm going to make the best of the way you want to do it. Now, if I have a disagreement, which happens, it's okay to disagree. Devin, it's okay. But you know what? As far as the analytics, I understand it. I understand how they get it. I've been taught why this happens because of this way. And you know what? I've seen it where it was implemented the day of the game. In our situation, the day of the game. So, uh, I don't have any problems with that, and I got to make sure that's something that the players are not concerned about because I want them to be concerned about playing ball between those lines. And I'll make sure all the information we give them outside the line, they know very well and they understand it. So I want to ask you about your coaching career in that uh, I'm sure there are a number of guys that you've come into contact with that you've help their game in some way. Are there any guys that you can point to that you're particularly proud of because you were able to help them or help them add something to their game? Can you name a few of those guys maybe? <laughs> well, Dev, I, I, I never like to toot my horn on who I work with. I always like the player to do it. But if, if you look at the, the evolution of players and everything, you know, you can start it with my present guy, Ronald Cunha, who I have worked with tremendously these last six years, being his outfield coach, and his base running coach, and, and, and you just see the, his level of play and, and what has transpired. And he's an he's a, he's a, he's a all-natural. He's a great player, awesome player, one of the best in the game. But I like to go to, like, when I think about guys I help get gold gloves and, and, and stolen base title, you know, I go back to Markakis. Nick Markakis was a gold glove already. And when I came over, he was 35 years old. And the guys upstairs wanted to make an adjustment on him because too many balls was getting over his head, you know. And and me and him, we I sat the first day first day of camp. I sat down with him and we talked about it, and we talked about how we can make a difference. And uh, I pointed some things out to him, and and uh, you know what? He made the adjustment, and he went out and won a Gold Glove at 35. That's one of those deals where nobody expected this guy. He can't. He don't have great speed, but he worked every day. You know, it was like we, we went at it every day. He didn't take many days off and being a better outfielder. He was already a great outfielder. So when I think about guys that I've helped, you know, uh, I remember when we had to shut down a guy like Paul Goldsmith because he was 21 out of 22 when he first came up as a rookie, but he was batting third, fourth in our lineup. And I said, hey, we got to put the brakes on you, man. You're too, you, you, you too good at this. You know, that's what I was told to do. You know, I had to tell him that, but. When I think about guys, you know, I was there when Justin Upton had a great year in Arizona. And I'm talking about really outfielders that really had great seasons. So I, I don't I don't like to take credit for that. Uh, that's not my style. I, I like the players. If the players felt like I helped them and made a difference in their in they season, I want them to say it. I don't want to be the one that's out there saying, trying to toot my horn about who I helped and who, and who I didn't help, you know, because you have some of those you don't reach. Now, we have guys like that, too, so... You know, I'm anxious to see how Michael Harris does, you know, and teaching. He's still young and he's learning some things and he can be even better than what he is. And so I'm anxious for that to happen once he gained a little bit more experience. But when you take a guy like, I don't know, Chaz McCormick, uh, he, can, he got a lot of talent. Tucker is really good. There's challenges I like to present to, to guys, you know, and, and then we go from there. But each individual will be different in the conversation I have with them. You know, what is it for Altuve? Why not be another MVP? What's wrong with that? Right. Because you he's capable of doing that. But what about Alex? You know, Breckman, it's, it's time for you. You He got all the talent, too. What's the challenge? What's something to set our goals high? 
and let's go together and reach it. That's my attitude. I, I ain't trying to present something to you that I don't think you can reach. And I know you don't. You know you're good enough that you can reach it. So I definitely want to be that type of manager that push guys and push guys in the positive light of making them better than what they already are. And if I'm doing that, success will come not only to them but to the team. And that's what the bottom line is. It's nothing better. And I tell you, every player that won or coach that won, it's nothing better than pouring that champagne knowing you're about to get a big ring. <laughs> well, Ain't nothing better. Couple more things before we let you get out of here. The the bases, obviously, baseball wants more action on the base pads, and mm-hmm. some of the new rules that have been implemented enhance that. Talk a little bit about the run game and the bigger bases, and not being able to toss over multiple times. Talk a little bit about that change in baseball, and and what could that do for a team like the Astros? Well, I tell you, first of all, can I come back? Can I come back and play? I could be a pinch runner. <laughs> Let me just be a pinch runner. No, I, I say I, I love the fact that these new rules have come into play. It makes it very more. It makes it uh, way more exciting for me, especially being that type of player that did that in his career. Uh, I think about the pressure that you can put on team. I think about pitchers worrying about you more. I think about pitchers making mistakes through the big part of that lineup that can go deep. It just gets everybody excited and pumped. I knew. When uh, Ronald Acuna got on base and he stole that base, the whole bench, like it just woke everybody up. And I think we we was, I don't know, we almost came close to breaking a record, scoring runs in the first inning or something like that during the, league, uh, during the season. So things like that ignites a team. And I think the Astros have some guys that can really take it to the next level. And I know they have a great teacher in Gary Pettis, who I respect tremendously. So I know that the running game, has just brought in another element and then it allowed a team like Arizona to be in the World Series because they play that type of game. They run and they push the envelope. But you also, Devin, now in, in retrospect, you have to understand, we're not just going to make outs on the base pad because we're going to run just because we want to run. We're going to make sure we prepare. We're going to make sure we know our keys. We're going to make sure we know the arms of the outfielders. We're going to make sure we know when to go, when not to go. When you at second base, you just can't run to third base because the ground balls hit that way. We're going to know all those little details and being the best base running team. That's what I strive for. That's what you strive for, to be the best base running team. And all the stolen bases and all that amounts to what? A lot of runs. And you score a lot of runs, you're scoring more than the, the opposition. So I love the running game. Well, final question uh, as uh, we get out of here. Obviously, we don't know what the future holds, but what would you like to tell the the Astros fans out here that will come into contact with the conversation? And, you know, what do you want people to know about you as a a potential manager of the beloved Houston Astros? Well, I, I tell you, I just want them to know you are going to get one energetic, smart, aggressive communicator and just loves the game of baseball and passion and the uniform he puts on wants to win all the time just as much as you or maybe more that's the person they're gonna get well we certainly appreciate your time any prediction on uh, uh tonight's game obviously it looks like the rangers bats have heated up despite uh, losing dallas garcia and and also scherzer being out uh they have evaldi going tonight uh will the rangers close it out tonight or how are you looking at the world series these days. Uh, okay, I'll tell you what. Tonight, if, if Gallon can give them six innings, they got a great chance. If he can shorten the usage of the bullpen, meaning he lasts long, and he's la- he's out there long means that he's, keep- he's keeping them in the game, Diamondbacks away. If he's struggling and got to get out the fourth or fifth inning, it's over. You might as well get the champagne ready, shirts <laughs> ready, the hats ready, and everything else ready because it's over. Hey, well, we certainly appreciate your time, and we look forward to, and maybe, uh, of course, we can revisit uh, throughout the winter, and uh, no matter what, you have, uh, you plug, you in a, in a great situation in, in Atlanta, and it'd be wonderful if you became the manager here. So, uh, like I said, we look forward to visiting with you again. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's good to be uh, reintroduced again to H-Town, which is my home for a lot of years. Thank you. To have your comments heard, call 832-941-6614.
want to thank Eric Young Sr. for his time and the conversation. Uh, I'm fired up, and uh, hopefully he has an opportunity to interview for the job and uh, get to pitch his case to Dana Brown. So we'll have to see. I did see something where Dusty Baker talked about how local media and the fans were just doing too much, and that made up his mind for him in the late summer that he was going to go ahead and move on. And we've talked about this on KTSU Sports Talk with Ralph Cooper, and I, you know we've talked about it here before with uh, Michael Bourne, how I've never understood the level of criticism. You don't give him any kind of room because of the success he's had that you want to question him. It was toxic from the little bit that I heard. And I, I mentioned this on the podcast because I didn't listen to a lot of local media about the Astros. I didn't listen to the other guys as it were, but the little that I did hear, I just couldn't believe, like, I don't think that you would do a guy like Tony La Russa. And I ain't, I'm not talking about Tony La Russa now at the end of his career. But you wouldn't do him when he was still winning with the Cardinals or the A's for that matter. You wouldn't question him after he's proven time and time again to be a successful manager. And it's unbelievable that he didn't get more appreciation. And I think time will lend itself to really showing how appreciated he should have been in this market for what he did for the Houston Astros. And it all came down, a lot of it came down to the catcher. But at the end of the day, he had a pitching staff that was doing work. And he did sacrifice some offense with Maldonado over Diaz. But that's a small complaint when you are on your way to winning another division and going to the ALCS again. It's unbelievable these cats are either spoiled or dumb or both. These fans are just obnoxious a little bit when it came to him. And I I don't remember them giving Bill O'Brien the blues and he didn't win. But you want to give Dusty the blues? It was not fair, and I don't know exactly where that came from, but I enjoy your retirement, Dusty Baker, and I think time will prove how much you have meant to this team and this organization when they see how difficult it is to win that consistently over a four-year period. I'm telling you, he's on the Mount Rushmore of Houston coaches in the professional ranks. I'm telling you, he is. Look it up, do the math, do the analytics on that, and I guarantee you he is one of the four best to ever do it in the city of Houston. Going to take one more time out, come back with Coach Clarence McKinney, some headlines. I want to talk about C.J. Stroud and a few other things. In addition to that, we have a story that I want to share with you guys from Reggie Brown. All that and a mix from our resident DJ, DJ Anarchy. This is the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast anywhere. You get your podcast. Sports Talk with Devin Wade wants to thank our sponsor, Kofi Bankus and CoBank Homes. The vision at CoBank Homes is simple, and it stems from the belief that clients can trust CoBank to guide them to realize one of, if not the single largest investment decision they will ever make, their home. CoBank simply looks to build lifelong relationships through service. They do this by using faith, knowledge, and technology to guide clients through the process of achieving their real estate goals. Be it buying, selling, or investing in real estate, contact Kofi at 832-757-7950. That's 832-757-7950. CoBank Homes through Keller Williams. DJ, DJ Anarchy, 
And if you are a fledgling artist or DJ, if you uh, make music and you want your music heard by the thousands of folks who come into contact with our podcast, just simply email us music at wadeswordproductions.com. Music at wadeswordproductions.com. Give us permission and we'll play a portion at the halfway point and an extended portion or an entire track at the end of the episode. But definitely, DJ Anarchy is DJ One. That's that's our guy. That's our resident DJ on the podcast. I do want to talk about CJ Stroud a little bit. I'm not going to do full-fledged headlines because we have some more good stuff coming up for you. But let me say this about CJ Stroud. I never miss an opportunity to admit that I was wrong. And I was wrong about CJ Stroud, at least to some degree. Because I just sort of dismissed him. I thought, man, you didn't need to take C.J. Stroud. You take Will Anderson and then get Anthony Richardson a few picks back. Well, it turns out they got the second and third pick and then got Anderson and C.J. Stroud. Richardson, I still think, is going to be special, but he's out for the year because of injury. And Bryce Young and Carolina is in a tougher situation than I think C.J. Stroud is in. But there are primarily two reasons why, well, three reasons why I kind of was dismissive of C.J. Stroud. First and foremost, I did not watch a lot of C.J. Stroud in college. And the reason why I always temper my judgment of those guys, because when you're at Ohio State and Alabama and the big schools, the, the best schools, you're surrounded by the best at every position. Sometimes that means that, hey, you thrive on having all that talent around you. And sometimes you're the best also at your position. But also Ohio State has never produced a quality quarterback. Now the jury is still out on Justin Fields. Looks like they're going to try to move on from him and uh, (laughs) get Caleb Williams next year. Looks like. But going back to Arch Schleister, (laughs) they've not had a good quarterback come out of Ohio State. Now, I know that doesn't mean anything as it pertains to his skill set and his abilities. But also, when I saw him up close, not only did he – I mean, okay, not to say that I thought he was never going to be anything, but he just did not look NFL ready going into this season. Now, it was a small sample size. It was two or three practices and camps and preseason games where he was really learning. He was – he was checking down a lot. He looked overwhelmed. When I saw him in practice, he was throwing interceptions. A lot of them, he did not look good. He looked overwhelmed. And I go back and I listen to comments that uh, D'Amico Ryan's, head coach D'Amico Ryan's talked about. And he basically, he said, hey, he's not making the same mistake twice. He's learning. He's getting better at the little things every day. And a lot of that is coach speak, but it was true in his case. And so what I saw from him, he is taking chances. He's using a big arm. He is staying in the pocket. He is doing his thing. And the offensive line's play has gotten a lot better. Now, keep in mind, we thought coming into this season that he would be the kind of guy that would manage games, at least for this season, because you had a strong running game, or so you thought. Now with Damian Pierce out and just the inability to run the football at all. They're dependent on C.J. Stroud more than they should be, and he doesn't have a number one receiver. Now, Dalton Schultz is uh, really coming to life for him, and Tank Dell, who had a concussion, missed a game or two, he came to life, and this week they go to Cincinnati. We'll have to see what happens there, but I will say this. I was surprised. He may not ever have another 450-yard game in his career and another five-touchdown day, but, boy, he looked special doing it yesterday. So there's that. Now, of course, we got Alcorn coming up tomorrow. Had an opportunity to catch up with Texas Southern head coach. And before we hear it on the pregame, here is that conversation for you guys on the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Here's Coach Clarence McKinney. Visiting with Coach Clarence McKinney. Coach, the comeback fell a little bit short, but looking back at that game, can we talk a little bit about that pass completed by Jace Wilson and what that does for his confidence and for the team's confidence in him moving forward that he was able to make that touchdown throw at a very crucial time at the end of that game? Uh, it was huge for Jace and his confidence and the team's confidence in Jace, So. Had an opportunity to make some some big throws early in the game. We missed on a couple of them, but 
uh, when we needed it, he came through. Talk a little bit about the resiliency of the team. At one point down, 21-7, kept fighting until the very end. Talk a little bit about the fight that your team displayed heading into the latter part of that game last week. Yeah, well, these guys know the game's not over until it's over. and So they're going to fight for 60 minutes, more if we have to. Uh, they've shown to be a resilient group, a group that won't quit no matter what. That's, that's just the character of the team, and, and we appreciate, as coaches, we appreciate the, the effort of these guys. Coach, can you talk a little bit about that offensive line continuing to do work? A guy, Ladarius Owens, uh, helped him get another 100-yard afternoon. They seem to be playing as well as they have all season long. Can you mention a few of those guys that are doing work on that offensive line? Yeah, those guys have been uh, probably the most consistent with good play on the team all season, and it starts with Jack Nance guy who's been banged up all year, but he's an experienced center. He gets us going in the right direction. He allows us to play with tempo, and uh, he's done a tremendous job for us. He's one of our captains and one of our, our leaders of our team. Next to him is uh, Mehdi Torrance, who's been a starter, I want to say, since he was a freshman. And playing next to Jack, those guys have a great relationship. They, they have a great feel for each other uh, when it comes to double teams and, and them executing their assignments. And then the old man of the group is uh, Aiden Hemphill, our left tackle. Guy who's been around a while, plays some ball, very athletic, uh, can play up in the, any position up and down the line. Uh, but he plays left tackle for us, and uh, he protects Jason and protects our quarterback. And sticking with the theme of in the trenches, on that defensive front, those guys seem to be really playing well. Can you talk about their performance last week and for the latter part of the season, how well they played? Yeah, they, that group has really stepped up uh, the last three, four games and, and played really well. Vera Montez Pippins, who's who's the um, leader of the group, and you got a guy like Ilanas Noel, Mike Akins, just to name a few. Those guys have really stepped up and, and allowed our defense to play at a higher level. Well, Coach, this week you played against Alcorn State, and the game was moved because of no fault of your own, the, the Dynamo going in the playoffs. So the game was moved to Sunday. What does that do for the rhythm and the pace and having that extra day? What does that do for your team? Um, doesn't do a whole lot. Doesn't change a whole lot. I don't know if you uh, know, but the NCAA doesn't allow us to have athletic activities on uh, election day. So we didn't do anything on Tuesday, which just bumped the week into a regular week for us. And so what it does do is it affects the following week where it takes away a day of preparation. Well, Coach, you're looking at the Braves, a team that you went on the road and defeated last season. They're coming off a big win. What do you see when you look at the film at Alcorn State? Another really, really good team. Uh, it's the reason why they're ahead of the standings on, on the SWAC West side. Quarterback's playing extremely great. Running backs is dynamic. Uh, the defense is, is, I want to say, ranked number one in, in the SWAC at this moment. Uh, they've created a lot of turnovers. They get after you defensively. Offensively, they can run the ball. They can pass the ball. They have a tremendous amount of talent on the outside and their secondary as well as their receivers. So, it's going to be a tough game, tall task for us. We know Coach McNair and his pedigree, and we know he's going to bring in a, a team that's going to be hungry and, and ready to stay on top of the swag with. Well, Coach, you'll be playing in front of a home crowd for the last couple of games. Talk a little bit about having that home field advantage and being at home among your fans headed down the stretch. Yeah, it's nothing like playing at home um, amongst your, your fans, your family, your student body. You want to go out and play for those people because that's who you're representing. And so our guys are excited about being back at home for these final two games. Uh, and hopefully we can bring a couple wins to, to the program. Coach, uh, good luck, and we look forward to seeing you Sunday. Thanks for having me. To have your comments heard, call 832-941-941. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, that conversation. We have those conversations every week for the pregame. And I have to tell you, man, this has been the most disappointing of my 31 years of calling Texas Southern Tiger football, being a part of the broadcast team. Not because we're losing. I've been through seasons where we didn't win any games. I don't know. I have to go back and look at their records. But it's been seasons where we didn't win any games. But what's frustrating about this is that talent-wise, we are on par 
with every team that we played. I, I would say probably FAMU was a little bit more talented offensively. But across the board, we're as talented as any team. You look at the Southern team, we had a lead on, should have beat them. Had a Prairie View, we were in that game. Had everybody. I mean, had a 14-point lead on, on FAMU. So it, we've had leads. We played well. This is despite the fact that you didn't have your best player on the team, Andrew Body, who we lost due to uh, injury. He was there for the Prairie View game, but he wasn't himself, and you could see that in some of the missed throws, and he hadn't played since. So, you know, you had to really totally restructure your offense. They've done that and been competitive and should have closed out games, really should have closed out uh, an opportunity or had an opportunity to go into overtime against Jackson State last week. Could not make that happen, although they scored a touchdown with five seconds left or six seconds left, but could not convert on the two-point conversion because you had special teams issues. So it's one little thing after another that's prevented this team from winning, and it's been really, really disappointing. But uh, Coach McKinney, they're doing a lot of the right things there. Ladarius Owens is one to watch. Also, that offensive line and defensive front is just incredible. They're doing great. They just have to close games out. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, they did not do enough of that. And so there are a lot of question marks in the offseason. And we'll have to see what the future holds. But this is a good team that should have won more games. And they have talent moving forward. They just got to find ways to close these games out. But, of course, we're rolling with the Tigers all the way through. So we did have a chance to check in with Reggie Brown last week. And I'm not going to play that entire conversation because a lot of it was about the Miami-Kansas City game. And, of course, that game has taken place. But we talked about flying. And he made a joke about a long flight, and he didn't want to take the flight to Frankfurt, Germany for that game. And then we had a conversation about guys who were afraid to fly. Here is that story I wanted to share with you guys from Reggie Brown. Were there any bad flyers in any of your teammates on any level? Were bad flyers? Did you have any bad flyers? No, we didn't have any bad flyers, but we did have our public communications guy, you may remember this name, Chip Namus. Yeah, Chip, uh, Chip Namus, who went he, to Seattle and then went uh, to, to the league now, right? Yeah, he 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 had it bad, though. He had a fear of flying. In fact, he never flew to games. But one year, uh, in fact, it was the Christmas Eve, we played San, in San Diego. So he had to fly. And I was a rookie at the time, and, I come on the plane and, you know, I'm happy just to be there and I'm looking at the spread and all of that. And I sit down and Chip comes sitting next to me and it's all good. And, you know, I'm enjoying the trip and the flight and getting ready. Man, when they turned that plane on, dude went nuts. Dog. <laughs> <laughs> dude went nuts. What did he do? I mean, he, hey, man, he started grabbing me and squeezing me. Everybody <laughs> on the plane just laughing and shit. Hey, bro, them people, <laughs> hey, man. Hey, man, that's a, that's a real dude. This dude was sick, man. I'm talking about for a three-hour flight, man. man. <laughs> if I, hey, man, if I had to play, I wouldn't have been able to, dog. Yeah. Hey, I mean, <laughs> hey, man, it was brutal. It was brutal, bro. So what happened when you landed? How was he when, he, when y'all landed? <laughs> 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 hey, 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 man, how is he? How was me, man? This dude, <laughs> this dude, <laughs> hey, bro, man, <laughs> that was crazy, man. I had never experienced, I, you know, you think of stuff like that and say somebody's scared to fly and all of this, but that's a real thing, man. I mean, dude was, it was bad, man, for that whole flight, man. And, and the fortunate thing is he rode, he drove back. I, you know, because we were playing on the Saturday, the Christmas Eve, I guess it wasn't enough time for him to drive or whatever the case was for some reason why he couldn't drive. But, man, that was bad, bro. Brutal. Yeah, I was going to ask about the return seating arrangement, but obviously, like I said, <laughs> maybe you got stuck with him because you were young, you know, a, a rookie in the league. Hey, oh, most definitely, man. But, you know, I guess everybody knew so – when he started, man, the plane just erupted, man. And I'm trying to get away. You know, I'm from Miami, man. Get yourself me. What you doing, bro? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, well, that's funny, man. But... Yeah, man, it's all good. 
<laughs> I thought that that was worth sharing. Hopefully you enjoyed it as much. And you don't have to know Chip Namies. And I don't think he went to Seattle. I think he went straight to the NFL, as I recall. But he was the first guy that I remember in media relations when I started covering the Oilers way back in the day. So I don't know where he... I saw him a few years ago. Haywood Jeffries had a party, and he was there for that for Super Bowl. I believe that's what it was for. And he was down here for that. That's the last time I saw Chip. I didn't know him, know him like that. We, I mean, obviously he knew my name and knew who I was, but we weren't boys. But yeah, it was a funny story whether you knew Chip or not. Getting out of here, but before I let go. Before I let go, hey, want to thank Eric Young Sr., want to thank Coach Clarence McKinney, Reggie Brown, DJ Anarchy, want to thank Brighter Brains and Cobank Homes, want to remind you guys that if you want to be interactive, we want you to call us, 832-941-6614 on the sports line. In addition to that, we want you to join the Sports Talk with Devin Wade group page on Facebook. Look at the webpage, wadeswordproductions.com, also on social media, on threads and Instagram, at the Devin and Wade, please follow me and send some love to anybody who gives me attention, whether it's uh, Fox 26, Nate Griffin, or uh, some of the podcasts I appear on. If you see me out there, shout out to not only me, but to the folks who invited me on as guests, and of course on Twitter, or X at Wade's Word, and if you can't remember any of that, please remember these four things. Number one, I don't do no favors after 6 o'clock in the evening. Two, I ain't got no money. Three, I'm not harboring any fugitives from justice. And four, bye. This has been the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Remember, you can follow him on Twitter at Wade's Word. Thank you for listening.